Welcome to the Enchanted Library, where we turn the pages of books, beautiful and old, living and magical. It's time to curl up, get cozy, and join us on an adventure. Due to the sensitive nature of the content discussed in today's episode, parental discretion is advised. Today we're reading from a new book called Beautiful Joe by Margaret Marshall Saunders. This book is a personal favorite of mine and one that I read nearly the covers off of when I was a young person. So I hope you enjoy this story. Chapter one, only occur... My name is Beautiful Joe, and I am a brown dog of medium size. I am called Beautiful Joe, but not because I am a beauty. Mr. Morris, the clergyman, in whose family I have lived for the last 12 years, says he thinks I must be called Beautiful Joe for the same reason that his grandfather, down south, called a very ugly-colored slave lad Cupid and his mother Venus. I do not know what he means by that, but when he says it, people always look at me and smile. I know that I am not beautiful, and I know that I am not well-bred. I am only a cur. When my mistress went every year to register me and pay my tax, and the man in the office asked what breed I was, she said part fox terrier and part bull terrier, but he always put me down a cur. I don't think she liked having him call me a cur. Still, I have heard her say that she prefers curs, for they have more character than well-bred dogs. Her father said she liked ugly dogs for the same reason that a nobleman at the court of a certain king did, namely, that no one else would. I am an old dog now, and am writing, or rather getting a friend to write, the story of my life. I have seen my mistress laughing and crying over a little book she says is a story of a horse's life, and sometimes she puts the book down close to my nose to let me see the pictures. I love my dear mistress. I can say no more than that. I love her better than anyone in the world, and I think it will please her if I write the story of a dog's life. She loves dumb animals, and it always grieves her to see them treated cruelly. I have heard her say that if all boys and girls in the world were to rise up and say that there should be no more cruelty to animals, they could put a stop to it. Perhaps it will help a little if I tell a story. I am fond of boys and girls. And though I have seen many cruel men and women, I have seen few cruel children. I think the more stories there are written about dumb animals, the better it will be for us. In telling my story, I think I had better begin at the first and come right on to the end. I was born in a stable on the outskirts of a small town in Maine called Fairport. The first thing I remember was lying close to my mother and being very snug and warm. The next thing I remember was being always hungry. I had a number of brothers and sisters, six in all, and my mother never had enough milk for us. She was always half-starved herself, so she could not feed us properly. I am very unwilling to say much about my early life. I have lived so long in a family where there is never a harsh word spoken, and where no one thinks of ill-treating anybody or anything, that it seems almost wrong even to think or speak of such a matter as hurting a poor dumb beast. 
The man that owned my mother was a milkman. He kept one horse and three cows, and he had a shaky old cart in which he used to put his milk cans. I don't think there can be a worse man in the world than that milkman. It makes me shudder to think of him. His name was Jenkins, and I am glad to think that he is getting punished now for his cruelty to poor dumb animals and to human beings. If you think it is wrong that I am glad, you must remember that I am only a dog. The first notice Jenkins took of me was that I was a little puppy, just able to stagger about, was to give me a kick that sent me into the corner of the stable. He used to beat and starve my mother. I have seen him use his heavy whip to punish her till her body was covered with blood. When I got older, I asked her why she did not run away. She said she did not wish to, but I soon found out the reason she did not run away was because she loved Jenkins. Cruel and savage as he was, she yet loved him, and I believe she would have laid down her life for him. Now that I am old, I know there are more men in the world like Jenkins. They are not crazy. They are not drunkards. They simply seem to be possessed with a spirit of wickedness. There are well-to-do people, yes, and rich people, who will treat animals and even little children with such terrible cruelty that one cannot even mention the things of which they are guilty. One reason for Jenkins' cruelty was his idleness. After he went his rounds in the mornings with his milk cans, he had nothing to do until the afternoon but take care of his stable and yard. If he had kept them neat, and groomed his horse, and cleaned the cows, and dug up the garden, it would have taken up all of his time. But he never tidied the place at all, till his yard and stable got so littered up with things he threw down that he could not make his way out. His house and stable stood in the middle of a large field, and they were at some distance from the road. Passers-by could not see how untidy the place was. Occasionally a man came to look at the premises and see that they were in good order, but Jenkins always knew when to expect him and had things cleaned up a little. I used to wish that some of the people who took milk from him would come and look at his cows. In the spring and summer he drove them out to pasture, but during the winter they stood all the time in the dirty dark stable where the chinks in the wall were so big that the snow swept through almost in drifts. The ground was always muddy and wet. There was only one small window on the north side where the sun shone in for a short time in the afternoon. They were very unhappy cows, but they stood patiently and never complained, though sometimes I know they must have nearly frozen in the bitter winds that blew through the stable on winter nights. They were lean and poor and were never in good health. Besides being cold, they were fed on very poor food. Jenkins used to come home nearly every afternoon with a great tub in the back of his cart that was full of what he called peelings. It was kitchen stuff that he asked the cooks at the different houses where he delivered milk to save for him. They threw decayed vegetables, fruit parings, and scraps from the table into the tub, and gave them to him at the end of few days. A sour, nasty mess it always was, and not fit to give any creature. Sometimes, when he had not many peelings, he would go to town and get a load of old vegetables that grocers were glad to have taken off their hands. This food, together with poor hay, made the cows give very poor milk, and Jenkins used to put some white powder in it, to give it body, as he said. Once a very sad thing happened about the milk that no one knew of but Jenkins and his wife. She was a poor, unhappy creature, very frightened of her husband, and not daring to speak much to him. She was not a clean woman, and I never saw a worse-looking house than she kept. She used to do very queer things that I know now housekeepers should not do. 
I have seen her catch up the broom to pound potatoes in the pot. She pounded with the handle, and the broom would fly up and down in the air, dropping dust into the pot where the potatoes were. Her pan of soft mixed bread she often left uncovered in the kitchen, and sometimes the hens walked in and sat in it. The children used to play in mud puddles about the door. It was the youngest of them that sickened with some kind of fever early in the spring, before Jenkins began driving the cows out to pasture. The child was very ill, and Mrs. Jenkins wanted to send for a doctor, but her husband would not let her. They made a bed in the kitchen close to the stove, and Mrs. Jenkins nursed the child as best she could. She did all her work nearby, and I saw her several times wiping the child's face with the cloth that she used for washing her milk pans. Nobody knew outside the family that the little girl was ill. Jenkins had such a bad name that none of his neighbors would visit them. By and by the child got well, and a week or two later Jenkins came home with quite a frightened face and told his wife that the husband of one of his customers was very ill with typhoid fever. After a time the gentleman died, and the cook told Jenkins that the doctor wondered how he could have taken the fever, for there was not a case in town. There was a widow left with three orphans, and they never knew that they had to blame a dirty, careless milkman for taking a kind husband and father from them. Chapter 2. The Cruel Milkman I have said that Jenkins spent most of his day in idleness. He had to start out very early in the morning in order to supply his customers with milk for breakfast. Oh, how ugly he always was when he came into the stable on cold winter mornings before the sun was up. He would hang his lantern on a hook and get his milking stool, and if the cows did not step aside just to suit him, he would seize a broom or fork and beat them cruelly. My mother and I slept on a heap of straw in the corner of the stable, and when she heard his step in the morning, she always roused me, so we could run out all as soon as he opened the stable door. He always aimed a kick at us as we passed, but my mother was careful to teach me how to dodge him. After he finished milking, he took the pails of milk up to the house for Mrs. Jenkins to strain and put in the cans. Then he came back and harnessed his horse to the cart. His horse was called Toby, and a poor, miserable, broken-down creature he was. He was weak in the knees, and weak in the back, and weak all over, and Jenkins had to beat him all the time to make him go. He had been a cab horse, and his mouth had been jerked and twisted and sawed at, till one would think there could be no feeling left in it. Still, I have seen him wince and curl up his lip when Jenkins thrust in the frosty bit on a winter's morning. Poor Toby. I used to lie on my straw sometimes and wonder he did not cry out with pain. Cold and half-starved he always was in the winter time, and often with raw sores on his body that Jenkins would try to hide by putting bits of cloth under the harness. But Toby never murmured, and he never tried to kick and bite, and he minded the least word from Jenkins. And if he swore at him, Toby would start back or step up quickly. He was so anxious to please him. After Jenkins had put him in the cart and lifted in the cans, he would set out on his rounds. My mother, whose name was Jess, always went with him. I used to ask her why she followed such a brute of a man, and she would hang her head and say that sometimes she got a bone from the different houses they stopped at. But that was not the whole reason. She liked Jenkins so much she wanted to be with him. I had her not her sweet and patient disposition, and I would not go with her. I watched her out of sight, and then ran up to the house to see if Mrs. Jenkins had any scraps for me. I nearly always got something, for she pitied me, and often gave me a kind word or look with the bits of food she threw to me. When Jenkins came home, I often coaxed Mother to run about and see some of the neighbor's dogs with me. 
but she never would, and I would not leave her. So from morning to night we had to sneak about, keeping out of Jenkins's way as much as we could, yet trying to keep him in sight. He always sauntered around with a pipe in his mouth, and his hands in his pockets, growling first at his wife and children, then at his dumb creatures as he came upon them. I have not told what became of my brothers and sisters. One rainy day, when we were eight weeks old, Jenkins, followed by two or three of his ragged, dirty children, came into the stable and looked at us. Then he began to swear because we were so ugly, and said if we had been good-looking, he might have sold some of us. Mother watched him anxiously, and fearing some danger to her puppies, ran and jumped in the middle of us, looked pleadingly at him. It only made him swear the more. He took one pup after another, and right there, before his children and my poor distracted mother, put an end to their lives. It was very terrible. My mother ran up and down the stable, screaming with pain, and I lay weak and trembling, and expecting every instant that my turn would come next. I don't know why he spared me. I was the only one left. His children cried, and he sent them out of the stable and went out himself. Mother picked up all the puppies and brought them to our bed in the straw and licked them and tried to bring them back to life, but it was of no use. They were quite dead. We had them in our corner of the stable for some days, until Jenkins discovered them, and swearing horribly at us, he took his stable fork and threw them out in the yard and put some earth over them. My mother never seemed the same after this. She was weak and miserable, and though she was only four years old, she seemed like an old dog. This was on account of the poor food that had been fed to her. She could not run after Jenkins, and she lay on her heap of straw, only turning over with her nose the scraps of food I brought her to eat. One day she licked me gently, wagged her tail, and died. As I sat by her, feeling lonely and miserable, Jenkins came into the stable. I could not bear to look at him. He had killed my mother. There she lay, a little gaunt, scarred creature, starved and worried to death by him. Her mouth was half open. Her eyes were staring. She would never again look kindly at me or curl up to me at night to keep me warm. Oh, how I hated her murderer. But I sat quietly, even when he went up and turned her over with his foot to see if she was really dead. I think he was a little sorry, for he turned scornfully toward me and said, "'She was worth two of you. Why didn't you go instead?' Still I kept quiet, till he walked up to me and kicked at me. My heart was nearly broken, and I could stand no more. I flew at him and gave him a savage bite on the ankle. "'Oh-ho!' he said. "'So you're going to be a fighter, are you? I'll fix you for that.' His face was red and furious." He seized me by the back of the neck and carried me out to the yard where a log lay on the ground. Bill, he called to one of his children, bring me the hatchet. He laid my head on the log and pressed one hand on my struggling body. I was now a year old and a full-sized dog. There was a quick, dreadful pain, and he had cut off my ear, not in the way they cut puppies' ears, but close to my head, so close that he cut off some of the skin beyond it. Then he cut off the other ear and, turning me swiftly round, although I struggled desperately, cut off my tail close to my body. Then he let me go, and stood looking at me as I rolled on the ground and yelped in agony. He was in such a passion that he did not realize people passing by on the road might hear me. 
Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and share our podcast with a friend. Visit our website at www.enchantedlibrary.net to see our past books or to connect with us on Facebook. If you'd like to support the work we do, you can visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash enchantedlibrary. We appreciate your support. Until next time, friends. Happy reading.